It's been said that trying to objectively view the culture of your organization is like trying to explain water to a fish. When you're in the midst of it, it's really hard to see. But there is a lot you can do to start noticing and changing what's not working. On this episode, Jonathan Raymond returns to the show to teach us where to start. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 327. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. So glad to have you back this week, or if you're listening for the first time, you're in for a treat because today, a guest that's returning to the show, back uh, earlier this year, Jonathan Raymond was on the podcast talking about the accountability dial and how do you go through the process of when something isn't quite working with someone in your organization of having that conversation and giving feedback and potentially even escalating it as things, um, if things don't work. And we talk through a model for how to do that in a very simple process. And uh, Jonathan and I both received so many wonderful comments from that episode, so many listeners who have used the book Good Authority uh, effectively since then, and have had lots of Academy members who are now utilizing that process in their daily conversations. And so when Jonathan and I were talking recently, I was really thrilled to be able to welcome him back to the show today to tackle another topic that's also very complex, which is how do we notice and influence culture. We've talked about culture on the show before, but Jonathan has so much in the book Good Authority that has really been helpful to me in thinking about some of these very complex topics. I'm really glad to welcome him back. He is the founder of ReFound, where his team and him work with organizations to create a company culture based in personal growth. And he is the author of the book Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. Jonathan, welcome back. Glad to have you. Hey, Dave. So good to be back. Thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, the pleasure is mine. I know that folks are going to uh, find a lot of uh, value here in, in this model. And I, you know, as, as I was thinking about culture today, I was just, I was interested in how you frame thinking about culture in your work and in the book. Um, and and you start off by talking about some of the underlying agreements that govern culture and mm. some of the existing agreements that many of us buy into. Tell me more about that and and the and the agreements that we have in our minds when we show up in organizations. It's such a rich topic and I think, you know, we can approach it a few different ways. I think maybe the most helpful way sort of doorway into this conversation is if we think about the the agreements that we have that we that were there before we got there, like before we arrived, right? And in most cultures and most organizations, even very forward thinking, you know, sort of enlightened organizations or organizations that are trying to be, there are a bunch of agreements in place, especially at the level of leadership. And some of those are agreements like, you know, my job is to come with, you know, solutions, not problems, right? That's an agreement that we have that we don't, we never question. And there's a really good reason to question it, right? There's a, there's a, there's an agreement around thinking like, well, well, we ha- if I have good intentions, right? That like, well, I, I didn't mean that, right? I, I, have, I have good intentions. So we, we sort of default to the idea that, well, as long as we have good intentions, um, that that's the, you know, we have the right orientation. And there are a bunch of 
agreements, some of them are subtle, some of them are not so subtle on how we relate with one another. How do we speak to one another in meetings and especially with what's going on in the news now uh, in terms of, you know, in an, an extreme way, workplace harassment, but, but issues around gender and inclusivity and diversity. So much, of the, so much of the problem results from us living with the agreements that are there, that have been there, and we're not proactively questioning them. Like, wait a second, is that an okay way? Is that, is that, is that how we want to show up in a meeting when there's six of us? Or do we want to approach it another way? So a lot of it is inventorying what are the ways of working that we have in our organization now? Uh, what, is it, what does it feel like to be a woman in our culture or someone who's not in a, in, a, in a majority sort of population group? And the big thing here is we have to shift our mindset from our intentions to our impacts. And so when we think about culture, intentions are not really all that relevant, right? Like most of us come to work with good intentions. What matter is what is the impact that we have with the way we speak, the way we show up, the questions we ask or don't ask, uh, the, way we relate, the, re- the way we relate with our colleagues, the way we speak with our superiors, the people more senior in the organization, the way we speak with our direct reports. Those are the things, the impacts that we have is what creates our culture, irrespective of whether we showed up today with good intentions. I remember reading the Difficult Conversations book years ago and that, uh, that phrase sticking with me of intent does not equal impact. And so I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I, I'm wondering, I'm so interested in, in the, some of the existing agreements like you articulated. What's an example of that that you've seen with a client recently where that kind of existing assumption was showing up and maybe people weren't even aware of it? So here's, a, here's one that I think is maybe fairly common is, I'll put it under the, under the um, asterisk or the quote, quotation marks of like, oh, well, that's just sales. Where there's, there are, there are some, some folks in the, in the sales group, they, they typically tend to be men, but not always, uh, but it tends to be a male-dominated uh, male um, world in, in certain ways. But, you know, the business world is very, you know, has a, carries a lot of male-dominated dynamics. And there was a, a pattern where people who were in sales, right, these are key roles, but there's a lot of other key roles, were getting away with conversations and statements and things that they were saying, some things that were, you know, mildly offensive and some things that were over the line offensive, but the other, other people who were functionally their peers in the organization felt like they couldn't question that. They couldn't say anything because that was sales and that's just sales and we have to let them be and we can't, we can't challenge that and we have to just kind of swallow it. And so this had led to a, a ton, uh, and I've seen this in many organizations, where some, you know, it's a version of a high performer, right? So let's say a salesperson who's a, who delivers a lot of revenue into the business gets away with a bunch of behavior that wouldn't be okay for someone else in the organization, but because they're in this quote unquote high performer role, they get, they get away with it and people don't question it. So there's an agreement, right? Like we're not going to challenge that reality and what, and we can talk about where we go from there, but that's an example uh, of an agreement that exists oftentimes in a workplace. You didn't say this word, but the word that's coming up for me is power around that. And we're seeing so much of course of this in the media right now with yes. um, it, it, the elements of people who either have power or perceived to have power in organizations are clearly getting away with behavior that in if they were in another role or they were another part of the organization or they were not as tied to the revenue as much, no one would ever put up with, or at least right. much less so. And so power plays a big role too in this, doesn't it? It's huge. And I think that there's a couple of pieces here. So the first is we have to do better math as leaders and managers because what oftentimes doesn't happen is we don't inventory 
to go back to that word impacts, let's say you have that top performer in whatever role, could be sales, could be engineering, could be marketing, doesn't matter. But we look at the, oh, well, we can't, we don't want to threaten the, the delivery. We, we don't want to threaten the good stuff that they're giving us, but we're not balancing the other side of the ledger and all the impacts that that, that person is having on their peers, on their colleagues, on the organization in general, and oftentimes on the customer that we are overly, we're overly privileging the result that we think they're giving or they, or they may be giving, and we're not putting enough information in the system to say, wait a second, well, maybe they are delivering that, but look at all these costs. Look at all the things, look at the price that we are paying right now, or look at the price that we will pay if this actually comes out. Are we willing to pay that cost? And it's when we have that type of conversation, then we see some things start to come apart in a good way. Where people say, you know what? I mean, it's like, I think it was Ariana Huffington who said the no brilliant jerks. That's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And the way to, to embody that is, just, is to start looking at the costs of maintaining those problematic behaviors and those problematic personalities and saying, you know what? We love your deliverables. You're really good at this, but you don't get to do this other stuff if you still want to be here. Those are the kinds of more intelligent and more, more dynamic conversations that, that, that I think people are starting to have and, and that we're having with our clients. I was going back and rereading your book in preparation for our conversation. And one of the things that jumped out to me is that one of the mistakes that you talk about in the book is that leaders often make the mistake of adding good cultural ideas without first addressing the dysfunctional cultural reality. Yes. Uh, tell me more about that, because that strikes me as a really profound message. You know, the thing for me, and I think about it in terms of in terms of growth, right? Business growth, personal growth for us, personal and professional growth are the same thing. That's our that's our operating assumption and philosophy. And and what I would ask people to think about is if you think about a friendship or an intimate relationship or or some other dynamic in your life, if there's something that needs to change, if you need somebody, if somebody's done something that is you know hurtful to you in some form or another, if you actually think about the scenario, what you want is not necessarily for them to change all their behavior overnight. That'd be nice, right? But what you want is an acknowledgement. You want your friend, your intimate partner, someone who you trust, a colleague, you want them to say, hey, I realize that this is what happened and that sucks. Or, you know, I see that that really impacted you in a negative way. Or I, I didn't realize how I had created a whole bunch of other work for you. Or, or whatever your version of, of acknowledging, hey, I did this thing, I took this step, this action, this inaction, whatever I did, I see how it impacted you. And I wanted you to know that I know that. Mm. That's the step that's missing in most human discourse is we're so quick to try to solve it, to try to paper it over, to try to move the, you know, we, we, we're so quick to that, right? We say like, oh, well, you know, I didn't mean that. And so let's do this from now on. I, I'm never going to do that again. I'm really sorry, right? And that misses the entirety of the human dialogue that, that you're, the person that you're talking with actually wants. They, of course, you, they, they want you to fix it, but that's not the most important thing. That's not where you get traction in a meaningful human relationship. You get traction by saying, hey, I get that I made your life harder or more frustrating or I caused you anxiety in some way. And, you know, and that's on me. And I just want to mark that moment. I want you to know that I know. Now, in the next moment, let's talk about how we're going to go forward. But we got to slow down and have that moment. It's actually going to speed up the process. But it's a mindset shift to realize, you know what, if I just take 15 seconds and just acknowledge what happened, this is going to lead to a better result. And so it's in that sobriety 
around the moment of, oh, you know what? That wasn't my intention, but I get that that's what happened. And it was probably way worse from their perspective than from my perspective because I wasn't on the receiving end. That's just how a mature leader relates with those moments. As you were saying that, I was just thinking like, like you said, how often we miss that. I mean, I'm thinking about times just in the last couple of days, I've missed that in my personal life and a, and a few things. Mm. Is there a place for us to even move beyond that as a moment of saying, hey, I'm, we're going to have this conversation or we're having this meeting or whatever whatever personal professional context it is. And let me just acknowledge this and just leave that there for a bit before we yes. even try to do the what's next. And maybe that's tomorrow's conversation. And that's critical. Exactly as you just framed it is so critical because if you don't do that, if you try to do them together, you actually undermine your own acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. When you go to the solution right away, or you go to fix it, or you, you, it's too close. As human beings, we need a moment to breathe. We need a moment to process. Just leave it there. Come back to it tomorrow. Well, speaking of setting something aside for a second, you said something a moment ago that I, I wanted to ask you about, that you don't, your firm doesn't make a distinction between professional growth and personal growth. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, so I mean, this really came from my own uh, journey as a, as a human being and a personal growth seeker and an entrepreneur and a CEO is I felt like I was always bouncing back and forth between kind of working on myself as a leader during the day, as a manager, as a leader, as a CEO, or as a people manager, whatever, whether I was in a junior role. And then on the nights and on the weekends, I was, you know, doing yoga and meditating and and counseling and doing all of my sort of personal growth, seeking and changing and trying to discover my authentic self. And at some point, and that's a lot, it's a bit about that in the intro to the book, I realized with the help of my wife that I had, that I was turning it into two separate inquiries functionally. And, it, and what if it was actually one? What if the, the path of leadership, the path of becoming a great people manager was exactly the same thing as becoming a better human being and a better father and a better husband? And what if I was harming myself by trying to do it in two separate structures? And what would that look like, right? And so that's what we're doing now, which I think is unique in, the, in our market is we're really, people are starting to talk about this, which is wonderful. And there are other voices. But how, do, when someone shows up on your team, if you know something about them, the way they're struggling with their time, the way they relate with risk-taking, the way they relate with communication, those are not purely professional themes, right? Those are hybrid themes. If somebody doesn't know how to manage a calendar and keep track of their time, that's impacting their personal life and their personal relationships. Mm. That's, that's our orientation is that if we help the individuals in an organization grow, we're going to help the organization grow at exactly the same time. And as we're more intentional about it from a leadership standpoint, not that we necessarily are going to start with the personal, but that if people see how what they're learning in the workplace is going to support them personally as well, too. I mean, I, I would imagine the engagement level and the connection is a lot more meaningful to most people who you know, may not care as much about the organization as the owner or leader or manager, um, but really are able to take more ownership over it, too. Absolutely. And, you know, with the mobility of our workforce, I mean, not everybody in your audience is in tech, but a lot of people are, you know, the average tenure of a tech worker is now like what, 1.6 years, right? So, so your the tenure vision that you have for your organization. Okay. That's interesting to me, but it's 1.6 years worth of interesting to me. I want to know how am I going to become that next better version of self while I'm working for you? And I'm going to work my butt off while I'm here uh, and I'm going to you know, put in the hours and I'm gonna, you're going to get the best of me, but I'm not here necessarily for 10 years. That's not how people think about their work anymore. Maybe I will be, right? Like if it continues to stay interesting and, I'm, and I have opportunities for growth, maybe I will be here for 10 years, but that's not a good setup for how to think about people management. 
a good setup if you're an intelligent leadership organization, you're thinking about how can we improve people's lives over the next year? What can we offer them in terms of development? And this is where you're going to get the most traction. You were talking a few minutes ago about the importance of addressing dysfunctional culture reality first before you're trying to introduce new ideas. And you articulate in the book uh, two steps to cultural change. And you say the first one is that the CEO or the owner or you know whoever the, the chief leader is in the organization needs to be the person that opens the door first. And I'm, I'm guessing that comes back to what we were just talking about of really acknowledging first and having empathy first before we go further. Yeah. And it, and it comes down to the, the one habit that most CEOs are the worst at is the ability to not know. Right? They're the, they, have, they have the most egregious case, myself included, of the ability to not know. And so in the book, I talk about an example of what does it sound like when the CEO opens the door saying, hey, guys, you know, we've been talking a lot about our culture. We've brought in a bunch of initiatives. We've brought in a bunch of outside vendors. We've done some trainings. And the culture isn't where I want it to be. And I can only imagine, from your perspective, the culture isn't where you would want it to be. And I don't have all the answers for how we're going to get there. But I'm really interested in the question. Right? That's what people, that's opening the door. That's saying, hey, look, I'm interested in this. I've got some ideas. I've got some things that I think I need to work on, but I don't know what you know. I don't see what you see, and I really want to. That's what it means to open the door, is to bring a slice of vulnerability into the moment. And you can do this as a team leader, even if you're not the CEO. You can say, hey, look, there's a bunch of stuff around me that I, that I'm, that's not within my control, even though I'll try to influence it. Uh, but but what can we do on our team? I don't know. You know, I've got some ideas. There's some things that I've tried. What are your ideas? I want to hear what your ideas are for things that I might not think about, right? Like, what is it that you think I don't see about the culture? And then, parentheses, the only way that's going to happen is if it's psychologically safe to talk to you. So if it's not coming to you, if you as a manager are not hearing things that are out of your comfort zone, that are making you scratch your head, that are making you feel like, oof, that was hard to hear, then that means it's not psychologically safe for them to do it. That's all the evidence you need. If you're not hearing it, it means you, there's a step that you need to take to open the door. And I'm happy to share, you know, we can have a whole nother conversation of what that looks like. But if you're not, it's the same thing I would say to CEO. If you're not getting feedback about steps that you're missing and mistakes that you're making and things that are off your radar, that means it's not psychologically safe. It's your job to change that. Yeah. And it's not like that's not happening in the organization. People are just saying it behind your back and without you in the exactly. room. Uh, so, exactly. So absence of that should be more of a red flag than it should be a everything's great in the organization. You're probably doing better if you're hearing more of that, right? Exactly. I had a, a client who said something beautiful the other day. He said, you know, when I think about myself as a senior manager in an organization, and he said, when I, my, from now on, when I think like I'm probably doing that a little bit, he said, you know what? My new assumption is I'm probably doing that a lot. Right. Mm. And from everyone else's perspective, I'm probably doing that all the time. And so that's that's the healthier, more mature assumption is not, oh, I yeah, I tend to micromanage people a little bit. That's that's a stupid assumption to make <laughs> as a leader. If you if you know that you that you probably micromanage a little bit, from their perspective, you micromanage all the time. That's, that's awesome. the right way to start as a leader. If you really want to grow. That's the mature perspective. It's so true. You know, by time something's bubbling up onto our radar screen, that everyone else has already been knee deep in it for six months, right? Right. Yeah, the only is, person you're fooling is yourself. Yeah, yeah. And what you said a minute ago really struck me: is 
it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to mean it. And a lot of people say the right things, but they don't mean it. And we, you know, if you're not that person, you can tell right away. But if you are that person, if you're the team lead or the CEO, I think sometimes it's hard to recognize in yourself when you really mean it and when you're just saying it. And yeah. and and I'm curious, like as you've worked with people on this, where do you need to get people to where when they're saying it. They they know that they mean it. Is there something that you've seen that's a pattern with that? That that that's, that's that they're transcending what they used to do before. Yes, there is a specific moment, and I want to I want to contrast it with what we tend to do first. So what we tend to do first, well intentioned, smart, creative, conscious people will ask the other person, "Hey, what should I do differently? Or what feedback do you have for me?" Or you know, I really want to understand better what it is that I'm doing. Like that, and that's that sounds. Okay, even though I'm sort of making light of it, yeah. that sounds okay. And it's actually the wrong road because you're still putting the onus on them to solve what's what is actually your inquiry to go into. So the moment, the shift when you know you mean it is when you do some proactive digging, not with your employees, not with your colleagues, but with yourself. And you come back to them and you say, you know, you've never actually said this to me directly, but I have a feeling that this. I think there's this thing that I do, and I think it's way worse than I think it is. And I don't need you to even validate that or not, but I just wanted to name that. I think that that's something that I, that it, that's way more problematic um, than I than I thought it was previously. And I just want to surface that. Right? That's the moment when you. That's vulnerability. So the mindset shift for us as a leader is: yes, feedback's important. It's a good data point, but that shouldn't be. Feedback from others shouldn't necessarily be the driving factor. It, we should be looking internally first and taking it upon ourselves to unearth, uncover, become aware of all the things that we're doing or not doing that are causing trouble in the organization and stop relying on other people to bring that to us. In the book, you tell a story about Marcus, and I, I think it just relates so much to what we're talking about. Would you share a bit of that uh, story with us? Yeah, it was an interesting. Uh, you know, he was a CEO of a of a of a startup. It was a tech company. You know, fairly well along the road, and you know, there, there were there were a lot of different facts that came to it. But there was a senior leader in the organization, and the what was behind the scenes was that the senior leader was it wasn't overt harassment. It wasn't it wasn't anything you know over the line legally, or you know, it wasn't it wasn't the kinds of blatant you know things that we're reading about in the news right now. But there was a hostility, right? There was a, a subtle hostility to women in the workplace. And it was totally off this guy's radar. And he was a well-intentioned, otherwise good guy, right? But raised as a man in 20th century America and, and, and internalized some problematic you know, attitudes and energies around women and didn't know it. It was off his radar. And what happened was people, there were, it was, there were women in the office who were frustrated and, and in pain and had suffered uh, from some comments and some behaviors and some energies. That, that, that had happened. And the CEO was fairly oblivious to that. And the dynamic started to, to come out because some women started to say some things and, they, and it was very courageous what they started to do. It started to come out and he, this CEO, he always felt like, well, my door is always open, right? Like I, I always felt like, you know, they could tell me anything. I don't understand. You know, I have a desk. I'm out in the open with the team. I'm not tucked away in some corner office. You know, I don't understand. Why didn't anyone say anything to me before? Like, why didn't they bring this up to me? And, you know, through some, we, you know, we kind of unpacked the story in the book, but the real, the realization that we helped him find is that he was so out in the space. He was so there that he didn't have an office, 
there was no private space. There was literally no space for a woman in the organization where she didn't feel safe. Nobody did to go to him and say, hey, there's something that is hard to talk about, uh, but I want to bring this to your attention. And it was also because this other senior manager was perceived as his pal. And so it was a, there was a political risk to go and talk to him because nobody knew, everybody assumed that because this guy was still around, that his behavior was okay with the CEO and it was validated and it was fine. And so the CEO hadn't taken those proactive steps to realize, you know what, I'm not getting any information about this guy. I'm not, I'm not hearing, nobody's perfect, right? Like why, why is, there's, a, there's an eerie silence uh, about some of, about our leadership team and our leadership team happens to be mostly dominated by men, right? If you're, if you're a CEO of an organization and most of the leadership team, more than 50% is men, I guarantee you my money back guarantee is you have some of these dynamics at place. So, in, in, so if you're not doing something proactive about that, you, you, you should wonder, why am I not doing something proactive about, about that? But in this case, he, he hadn't taken those proactive steps and surfacing some conversations and starting with an assumption and going to some of the women in the organization and saying, hey, look, you know, we have a leadership team that's mostly dominated by men. I can only assume that that's problematic in some ways. I want to know why. I want to know what, it, what is it that the men here are doing that we don't know that we're doing. Because there's a lot of guys here who have some good intentions, maybe some guys who don't have some good intentions. But I want to know what, I want to know, I want to get underneath it. And I'm not, not going to sit around passively and wait for someone to file a sexual harassment lawsuit because that's stupid and I'm not stupid. Right? We don't act that way when it comes to all the other elements of our business. Right? We look at the customer data. Like If we don't have customers raving about us, we go, huh, why are customers raving about us? And we're mad, like you know, dashing into the data to try to find that out. That's what it takes to be proactive. That's what cultural listening is all about. Yeah, and the story was really interesting to me because it, it surfaced some of the, uh, those challenges and those assumptions that you mentioned earlier. And, and the thing that I thought was interesting about the story too is what first surfaced it was the CEO going to a meeting and you know someone was unusually quiet and had a sense that something was up. And rather mm. than just letting it go, which is what most people would do, he, he really went and talked to that person and said, you know, I, I feel like something's not right. And yes. that that was the catalyst that started this conversation while this other person was on vacation. And it really, for me, it, it, it illuminated one of the points you talk about of, of one of these, I don't know if it's a directive or a truth, but assuming that the disgruntled employee is the spokesperson when you're talking about something culturally. Say more about that, because I think that's, that's a really important point. Yeah, there's, there are two pieces there. I mean, the first is what, you, what you're highlighting is a really good example of the accountability dial, right? So the, so the example that you just gave of the CEO going to this person and saying, hey, or having the idea in his head, like, oh, she's, that was a, she's unusually quiet in this meeting and taking a moment to say something about it. I just want to be clear with everybody because I know a lot of people are talking about the accountability dial. That's a mention, right? People don't necessarily think about that as an accountability conversation. That's the start of an accountability conversation. Mm. That's saying, hey, there's something that I notice and I don't know what it's about, but I want to know because it's interesting to me and I'm curious. That's accountability. That's self-accountability in that moment from that leader to say, hey, something's out of the ordinary. Something doesn't add up. I want to, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe, who knows? There's, there could be 25 examples you know, of why she was quiet in that meeting. But I want to know if it was nothing, it was nothing. But I, but I want to find out what it was. So I just want to point to that example of, uh, of you know, how that is in, in the, a good example of the accountability dial. 
And then tell me again, there was another piece that you that you wanted to highlight about that uh, particular conversation. Oh, yeah. Just assuming that this the disgruntled employee is the spokesperson. Oh, yeah. So it's, a, it's along those lines of saying like, look, if I, you know, if I've got somebody, you know, on my team, let's say I'm a project manager and I have eight people that are in, on this project. And there's one person who's always, every time we have a project meeting, they're always trying to kind of like push their agenda and take the thing in a different direction and, you know, and make me, you know, you know, try to pivot the conversation to some other thing that's off the script that I'm going into that meeting with. I could do one of two things. I could assume, oh, they're a pain in the ass and they should just sit down and listen to me. Or I could go, oh, maybe they're a spokesperson. And maybe the other seven people have some form of that opinion, but they don't actually, they're not, they're not feeling the confidence or they're not feeling secure enough in their role to actually speak up about it. This, we talked about before, the more mature perspective, that's the more mature perspective is to say, hey, you know, maybe I don't like the way this person is doing it. And maybe I want to talk to them about how they you know, try to bring opinions in meetings. That's fair game. But I'm not going to shoot down the message. So I might go to that person and say, hey, you know, I've noticed this pattern. Again, accountability dial. I noticed this pattern. I don't know if you noticed it, but the last couple of meetings, you know, you've been, you've been pretty outspoken about your opinion, which I think is wonderful in general. But, you know, I want to know what's behind that. Like, what, what is it that, that's on your mind? What is it that I'm not listening to? I want to know what that is. That's the safe, strong, smart, vulnerable, authentic, transparent, uh, pick your buzzword. It's all yeah. of those things. Yeah. That's the right way to approach those moments and assume that for whatever reason, that person is a spokesperson for that message, right? It goes back, you know, however many hundreds of years when that person said like, you know, don't shoot the messenger, right? Like there's something that that person's trying to tell you. There's something that that person who was being quiet in that room with that CEO, there's something that person's trying to tell you. And it's very, the easiest thing in the world is to shove that person aside. They're, they're probably imperfect. There's something about their delivery. Maybe they're, whatever it is that you don't like about the way that they're bringing you that message. If you, if you default to that one, you're going down the wrong road. Mm. Yeah. Uh. So good. Uh, there, there's so much here. I, I know I'm thinking about walking out of this conversation. I've, I've got about three more pages of notes, but we're just going to have to have <laughs> you back, Jonathan, uh, again for a third time. Uh, Fair so, enough. In the spring, we'll come back. We're going to do another edition of Good Authority. Uh, let's do it. Updated, let's, and we'll, let's do we'll come it. back again. Yeah. Well, and for better or worse, this isn't going away. You know, we, this is something I think to what we were started the conversation with of some of the existing agreements that a lot of us grew up with in organizations, or we saw our parents doing for years. And you actually talk a lot about this in the book too, like some of the generational things that we saw our parents dealing with. And it isn't necessarily the best way to handle things today. And we, we are all working through how do we get better at coming into a workplace where we're thinking about the personal and the professional and all the things you've been talking about. But before I let you go, I want to ask you two more things. First of all, you have some resources on your website that I know will be really helpful to folks in organizations and especially HR teams. Can you say a bit about that that uh, will help folks to take the first step if they really want to dive in on this more? Yeah, you bet. There's a, uh, well, I think we'll share a link in the show notes at refound.com slash four dash individuals, or you can just go to refound.com and click on the four individuals button in the nav. We've got some resources there, the one-on-one meeting guide, some videos and some other things that you can check out. And there's a a five-part video course when you sign up for our list. That's five one-minute videos that you'll get. when you If you click on any link and if you put your email address in somewhere on refund.com, you'll get those five videos. But there's also a, a link on there that people have started to use. You can introduce us to your HR team, right? You, you may be thinking to yourself, like, hey, this is really interesting. I'd love to I think we should be investing in this as a culture. But maybe, you know, you feel like you're not the right person to advance that conversation right now. Uh, you can. There's a note there. There's a button. You can introduce us to your HR team. 
and we'll take it from there. And those are, those are conversations we love to have. Typically, we'll work through the you know head of culture or you know CHRO or or VP of people, you know whoever that person is in the organization. That typically tends to be the person who uh, who finds us. Um, so you can help them along and, and uh, just send them a note. And people can, I think you've set up a system, people can even do that anonymously, right? Yes, people can do that anonymously. And there's also a link to pick up the book. Uh, if you haven't picked up the book, you can do that. Uh, there's a link there too. Fantastic. And and speaking of the book, it's been out a little more than a year now. I'm curious, now that the book's been out a year, you've been going all over the world, talking to organizations, seeing people utilize these skills, getting questions from people. What have you learned since the book came out that you didn't know a year ago? The thing that I've learned, which I think we'll, we'll talk a little about in the intro to the next edition is I, I've worked with a lot of millennial leaders, uh, especially like sort of that second cohort or like the older millennial leaders, let's say, who are many emerging leaders in organizations. And I think that I didn't appreciate the degree to which the, you know, we're so accustomed. I mean, I'm 45 and I'm so accustomed to being on my laptop and my phone and, you know, my Apple watch and all these things, right? I'm so accustomed to this world that I didn't appreciate the degree to which that modern leaders, especially millennials, but it's everybody now, we're so in our machines, right? We're so checking off the boxes and we're so in a task-oriented world and how not only how big that challenge is to step away for a moment, and to, but to see the value in doing so, right? I think we could all agree that it's a good thing to step away and have those human conversations. But the momentum, I think this is where, where I didn't appreciate it fully enough, just how much momentum we have to try to look for a technological solution that won't work because these are human problems and these are, these are interpersonal and these are team dynamics and cultural dynamics. And it's not that technology can't play a role, but it's a supporting role. And I think that's the that's a distinction that smart L&D and HR people are, are understanding that if I blow my budget on people tech and I don't invest in training and, and this more sort of high touch leadership development, I'm missing it. Um, and I think, I think that's, the, that's the thing that I've learned uh, with a lot of organizations is that I think we're, we're getting smarter, uh, but there's a lot of momentum um, cutting the other way. Jonathan Raymond is the author of Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming back and sharing all this wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks so much for the conversation. If you're having conversations about changing culture in your organization right now, I invite you to share this conversation with your colleagues. What Jonathan has discussed here will help you to frame your path forward, I think, in a really healthy way. And if you're serious about getting better at this, Jonathan's firm, Refound, is doing some innovative things about leadership development. Check it out if you're looking for more guidance. I love what it says on their website. Personal and professional growth are one thing, not two. Thanks again, Jonathan. Now, speaking of growth, I've got something new to tell you about this week. You've been hearing me share a few things from New York Times bestselling leadership author Michael Hyatt during the past few weeks. Both the online life score assessment, which many of you have taken, and also the free webinars that Michael is hosting this week to get you ready for 2018. And I've been getting a bunch of questions from people wondering, hey, isn't there a course that goes around this or something for annual planning? When is that coming up? Yes, there is. And Michael launches it this coming Wednesday, December 13th. This is our third year affiliating with Michael to support this course and sharing it with you, our listening community. 
The course is called Five Days to Your Best Year Ever, and it's the best framework I know of to help you to be intentional about getting ready for the new year. This will be my fourth year using the course myself, and I am again recommending it to you as a starting point to get ready for 2018. And I'm offering something this year to our listening community that I've not done before. This year, if you elect to participate in the course through our community, I'm inviting you to join me personally with other listeners and collaborate over the holidays and into January on planning for the new year. This week, I'm launching a private LinkedIn group for Coaching for Leaders listeners who are participating in the Five Days to Your Best Year Ever course. I'm going to be moderating the group personally and sharing what I'm working on as I go through the course myself here over the holidays. Um, I'll also be sharing details on the strategies that I'm using to divide the year into quarterly plans, as you heard me talk about recently on episode 319. But most importantly, I'm going to be asking you to engage with the group if you're also participating in the course so our community and I can support you personally in starting 2018 the right way. So this private LinkedIn group is launching this week on Wednesday, December 13th, 2017, and it will be active until the end of January 2018. So we'll have about 45 days to work together online and support each other in making 2018 the best year ever. So if you're planning to participate in the Best Year Ever course and you want to engage in the private LinkedIn group along with me and other listeners, here's what you need to do. First of all, simply purchase any version of the Five Days to Your Best Year Ever course from Michael Hyatt before the course closes. Now, it's going to open this Wednesday, December 13th, and it closes the following Tuesday, December 19th. So you've got seven days to get in. And as I mentioned previously, we're affiliated with the course again this year through Michael Hyatt. So you need to use our link in order to get access to this special benefit, since this is only for Coaching for Leaders listeners. And here's the link, coachingforleaders.com slash best2018, all one word. Then once you've done that, email the receipt you get from Michael's team to me at this address, best2018 at coachingforleaders.com. Then I'm going to send you instructions on how to get access to the private LinkedIn group, and you are in with the rest of us until the end of January 2018. There are thousands of people who take this course every year, but the private group with our community is only for listeners of Coaching for Leaders who go through our link. So I know we're going to end up having some great personal conversations online which is what I actually prefer since I'm really not a big fan of the forums and online groups where there's thousands of people posting. I know I know some people like that, but I really prefer smaller spaces where people can really engage more personally and get to know each other well. And I'm really excited to interact with many of you who have asked me about this course and who, like me, are really working intentionally, planning 2018, and want to make the best of this year, both personally and professionally. So again, here's the link that you need to get to prior to Tuesday, December 19th. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash best2018, that's B-E-S-T 2018. Purchase any version of the course through that link. 
There's three versions to choose from. All of them are eligible for your participation in our private LinkedIn group. And then finally, email your receipt to me at this address, best2018 at coachingforleaders.com. I can't wait to get started with you this week on planning 2018 alongside you and other members of our listening community. But don't worry if you're just listening to the show for the first time, or maybe the best year ever course isn't the right fit for you. You can still get access to tons of resources on the Coaching for Leaders website completely free. The free membership is always open, always accessible. I hope you'll join in with me and thousands of other Coaching for Leaders listeners who have established their free memberships over the last year. You can access the entire podcast library since 2011, searchable by topic. Just go to coachingforleaders.com and you can activate your free membership right there. Now, uh, some related episodes to today's conversation with Jonathan. If you found this conversation helpful, I think you'll also find these four past episodes of value as well. Episode 144, the title was How We Do Things Around Here to Get Results. Kent Rhodes and I talked about organizational culture? What are the kinds of things those who have special training in organizational behavior and organizational design, as Kent does, uh, really look for and observe in organizations when they're consulting to them and how to recognize those things in your own organization? Uh, Again, if this is topical for you today, I think episode 144 is an important listen as well. Also, you heard the word power come up in today's conversation. Turns out that as we become more powerful uh, in our organizations as we obtain more power through influence position. Uh, Not only do we have more ability to influence, but we also, all of us, run the risk of misusing that power. And we are seeing, unfortunately, examples of that all the time in the media and in the news. And on episode 254, I had Dacker Keltner on. He has been doing a ton of research at Berkeley over the years on human behavior, human dynamics, and specifically around power. His most recent book focused on that. On episode 254, we talked about how to use power for good and not evil. If you've been thinking about power and power dynamics, episode 254 is a must-listen for you. Also, I'd recommend episode 306, Five Steps to Hold People Accountable. This was the previous episode that Jonathan appeared on. He talked. We talked a little bit about the accountability dial and referenced that in today's conversation, but we go into great detail in episode 306 on the five steps to really keep people accountable in organizations and as managers, how to implement that well. If you are looking for ways to navigate having tough conversations with people and you're finding that you really want to hold people accountable, but you're not really sure where to start, if you haven't heard episode 306, that's absolutely where to begin with. And finally, episode 307, how to make inclusion happen. Deepa Pershathaman with Deloitte was on that episode. We talked about what Deloitte is doing in order to really make inclusion a priority in their organization. They're doing some really innovative things. Check out episode 307. Now, next week, I am thrilled to welcome top leadership thinker Peter Block to the show. He is going to be here to be teaching us about navigating organizational politics. Peter is been a seminal thinker for decades on empowerment, leadership, stewardship, and so much more. He's going to be teaching us how to deal with opponents and adversaries in the workplace. So if you're navigating challenging organizational politics right now, don't miss it. Peter Block next week. Have a great 
week as always, and I look forward to seeing you next Monday with Peter Block. Take care.